1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Suffolk County District Attorney, Rachel Rollins. Thanks for coming on and congrats on your inauguration.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Of course. So what has your experience been like in office and what are your plans for this year to
2: implement a progressive agenda? I just had my first um, all senior staff meeting. We have made some big decisions about how things are going to be happening moving forward under my administration just sort of messaging more to the office about my list of charges we aren't going to we are no longer going to pros- uh, prosecute in the first instance so it's been good um but but we're changing um day by day the culture here to make it a little bit more inclusive and have more um you know staff meetings newsletters, letting everyone know the good work the office is doing, but also um, messaging about the changes that are to come.
1: So what charges are you treating differently? And what is your reasoning behind that change?
2: So I, during the campaign, came up with a list of approximately 15 charges that I was no longer going through in the first instance prosecuting. Um, and went so far as to say that I was going to just dismiss them outright prior to arraignment um, in, in many circumstances. And they are a list of low-level quality-of-life crimes that overwhelmingly are committed by individuals that are suffering from a mental health crisis, have substance use disorder, or are, are impoverished. And so for example, you know, I've said a breaking and entering into a vacant property for the purpose of sleeping or seeking refuge from the cold, um, where there's no actual damage to property is not a crime that I believe this, this office, or quite frankly, anyone should be, should be charged. Because that, in lay people's terms, is simply you are given the choice of freezing to death or finding shelter. I would hope that you're going to find shelter. Um, and the fact that I've been getting some pushback on some of these is is disheartening, quite frankly. Because in some of the other cases, like a trespass, for example, or a disturbing the peace or a disorderly conduct, which I also have on that list, we can hold people accountable if necessary, but it does not necessarily mean jail or incarceration. We, every day, Jordan, we hold people accountable without putting them in jail. And I just want to make sure we're thinking about doing that in these instances. So could you tell us a little bit
1: about your perspective on incarceration? What alternatives are necessary here and why are you pushing them?
2: So incarceration is set up in our system to call the House of Corrections or the Department of Corrections. And just even using a dictionary uh, definition, it's supposed to correct behavior. And what I want to make sure is that we are looking at when we send people away, what are we, how long are we sending them away for? What are they learning or doing when they are there? And then remember, you're 95% of the people we incarcerate return, right? We're not talking about life without the possibility of parole every time we send somebody away. For many of these standalone charges, they're misdemeanors. They are they're, they're charges that they would not be gone for more than one year, two years, two and a half years tops. And When incarceration in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Suffolk County costs, you know, something to the tune of $55,000 a year, I don't believe it's fiscally responsible to send somebody away where they're not in any way getting corrective action for their behavior. We're simply paying to send them somewhere and then they come out and we have something like a 67% recidivism. So when you look at all those data points, what I want to do is get to the root cause of the problem. Why do you keep going back to this place? Why are you being charged with trespassing? Um, is it because you live right next to there? Is this a domestic, um, you know, dispute? Is this a mental health issue? We just need to pause for a minute and get answers to those questions and then find out what the best solution is. If someone doesn't fall into one of those three categories, if it is a trespass where they've been given ample opportunities to self-correct that behavior or given a civil stay-away order that they continue to violate, then absolutely. If we need to, after multiple different um, alternatives, think about the alternative of incarceration, I'm fully okay with contemplating that, but I don't think in the first instance some of these crimes should be, um, should be in, incarcerating offenses. Um, so I have no problem, Jordan. I need to make sure this is clear with respect to violent crimes and serious crimes, um, to removing people from the community because my priority is keeping the community safe. But I believe incarceration should be for the most serious of crimes.
1: And what should that incarceration look like?
2: Right. So I, I personally, my opinion is that we send people away. For too long, and we don't do enough with them while they are gone. And so what is interesting about Suffolk County, Jordan, is that we have the House of Corrections and the Department of Corrections. And so the House of Corrections, which is the Suffolk County House of Corrections that also includes Nashua Street, is actually overseen by a sheriff, uh, Sheriff Steve Tompkins. That is an elected position. I think the best way to describe it is usually people that are in the Suffolk County House of Corrections are serving a term of two and a half years or less. And then the Department of Corrections is actually overseen by the state, the Commonwealth, And the governor, Governor Baker, has a secretary um, that is responsible for all of the Department of Corrections. Usually those terms are two-and-a-half years or more. Um, And so depending, for example, whether you're in Shirley or Concord or somewhere else, um, we have individuals that are serving a a two-and-a-half, three-year bid or individuals all the way up to life without the possibility of a because, of course, Massachusetts does not have the death penalty. So what I think the layperson often doesn't understand is that there are two different entities that oversee incarceration, depending on the time. And those are one of the individuals is elected, one of the individuals is appointed, and the services you receive, depending on where you go, are vastly different. Um, and I believe what we need to do better personally, and this is not in my jurisdiction and that I don't oversee what happens inside of the House of Corrections or the Department of Corrections, Um, is I think we need better training. I think we need to make sure we are getting people counseling and the services they need with respect to the trauma that they, as defendants, have often experienced in their lives. We need to make sure that we we are getting people better when they serve their time because they are returning back to us. And what we don't want is to have somebody who's even more violent Suffered more trauma, um, during their, let's say, three year sentence to then be returned to the community, even more violent, um, and, you know, damaged and injured than they were before they went into our Department of Correction. So I have high hopes for the changes that I hope are going to be coming. Um, but I will be very vocal, Jordan, about what services people are receiving when they are sentenced. Because even though I don't have jurisdiction over it, when we have a 67% recidivism rate, they come back to me. And so I, have a, I believe I have a vested interest in knowing what is happening uh, behind the wall.
1: And would you say that the sheriff and the governor's administration are allies to the changes that you're fighting for?
2: So I definitely believe Sheriff Tompkins is an ally. Uh, we've been on panels together. He has done some magnificent work uh, in the Suffolk County House of Corrections with respect to a peace unit that was just created for a, a specific group of individuals that fall within a targeted age range, um, whereby they are isolated from other um, prisoners. And so... Um, I believe that Sheriff Tompkins, similar to Commissioner Gross, um, who Commissioner Gross says sort of cuffs as the last resort, as in handcuffs as the last resort. And I'd like to say, you know, certainly with respect to some of these less serious crimes, incarceration is a last resort. I think Sheriff Tompkins is very aware of the racial disparities um, in our criminal justice system. And making sure that he is getting young men and women uh, training when they are behind the wall. And then also uh, because so many of our our individuals that are in the House of Corrections have mental health issues, have substance use disorder, are suffering from substance use disorder, they are getting the treatment that they need as well. So I believe I have an ally in Sheriff Tompkins for sure. I had not met Secretary Bennett. I had not been elected prior to that. I do know that Secretary Bennett and um, this administration did not share all of Sheriff Tompkins's visions for what uh, a sheriff can be or what departments or houses of corrections can be. Um, and I need to educate myself on who the new secretary is uh, that oversees the Department of Corrections for the Commonwealth so that I can meet... Him or her um, and make sure that we start having conversations. So I don't know yet whether they will be an ally.
1: And how bad is the issue of mass incarceration in your district and your state? And what are the racial disparities?
2: Right. So people often say that crime is down in Massachusetts, and it is, which we need to be proud of. What I what we should not be proud of is that there are significant racial disparities with respect to who is getting charged with crimes and who is getting sentenced, sent to either the House of Corrections or the Department of Correction. And so there's some national data and state data and county data. And what the disparities to me show is that we we have some really important questions we need to start asking. So for example, there are communities in Suffolk County that, while I was campaigning, would often complain that they feel over-policed and over That there are police frequently in their neighborhoods conducting field interrogations, for example, uh, questioning them, um, and, you know, they might use the word sort of harassing them, but within the bounds of the law asking questions, uh, for the most part, let's say. And what is troubling to certain communities, I have been told, is that the police are constantly in our communities harassing us about, you know, um, what we're doing, where we're going, who we know, why we're in this neighborhood. But then the Washington Post, for example, had a recent article that highlighted Massachusetts, Boston, as the worst in the nation with respect to racial disparities regarding solved rates for homicides based on race, And so on the one hand, people say, the police are here every day harassing young men usually between the ages of 14 and 24, let's say, Um, but they can't solve any of our homicides. Uh, So what I think we need to do is um is a talk about that out loud and b start having some very uncomfortable conversations about race and disparities and systemic um racism that has permeated you know throughout the criminal justice system for decades and decades and decades. And what I like to say is no one is implying that there's a intent on the part of um, of certain law officers. But what I won't do is end the sentence there or the paragraph there. There needs to be done some discussion about well, if there's no intent, then why are these disparities there? Tell us why um, we are the worst in the country with respect to solve rates. And what are we doing to better the relationship with certain communities so that we can. Start solving some of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds unsolved homicides that we have.
1: And when it comes to over policing, what impact can you make as DA?
2: Yeah. So what I can do is I can make sure that um, what's beautiful about the district attorney is we are really at the center of almost every police arrest and choose not to prosecute. Um, Then. The judiciary isn't involved, probation isn't involved, and corrections officers are not involved. So the sheriff, um, the judge, the probation officers, as well as the public defenders, the CPCS lawyers, um, nobody sort of gets paid, right, or gets involved. We have a unique ability to insert ourselves in the system, um, or, or say, whether we believe this is a, a fair and just uh, decision to prosecute. And, um, you know, and, and I believe it's, it's an important role, uh, a very, very important role that we play in determining, uh, where we're going to allocate our limited resources. So when I get back to my list of 15, for example, um, we will hold people accountable, but in a different way um, than automatically going to incarceration as the first instance. And if people say, Well, we do that all the time already, then what's great is, Why are you upset that I'm simply saying that out loud? is my response. Um, but I want to divert our attention away from those less serious crimes into the violent crimes, right? So we've just had our first homicide. Um, in my administration. And so what I want is to make sure that that family who lost a loved one, um, the witnesses that saw that crime, uh, and that that they are protected and get the services that they need. Um, so again, I think the DA plays an incredibly important role in the process. Um, and we can... You know, I, I believe we sort of love to call ourselves the, the ministers of justice, right? And that we have a lot of power uh, that we need to make sure we're we're, we're checking ourselves uh, with respect to being fair and equitable and just at every chance we can. Malen Politics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates. Causes and organizations.
0: And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works, despite what they say. It's an award winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us.
2: And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee. Garcia Brown.
0: Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M I L L E N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show.
1: And when we talk about crime in the media, when we hear about it, we're almost always referring to blue collar crime, low level crime. What about white collar crime? What about crimes? committed by those in power.
2: That is something we're going to be looking at for sure, uh, is more white-collar uh, crime investigations. You know, wage theft is a huge problem, uh, and many employers that engage in this behavior are intentional about who they are depriving wages from, so they usually go out for the most vulnerable population, whether it's immigrants. For uh, non-English speakers, um, individuals that uh, they threaten with deportation or take uh, advantage of in some way, and that is something that our office is going to be um, going to be looking at. And then, you know, we are we are a district. I was just on from, uh, from this recently that. We have charged a company uh, with manslaughter uh, in the case where they failed to install supports in a trench. Uh, The two workers uh, working in that trench drowned when a water main uh, burst and caused the trench to collapse, trapping those workers. So when when corporations or companies or entities are cutting corners um, or not complying with regulations and safety laws, when individuals are preying on uh, the most vulnerable of populations uh, to their benefit uh, or to cut costs so that they can uh, earn more money themselves or turn a profit, those are things that this administration, my administration, is going to be taking a hard look at across and,
1: and looking at some specific issues, how will you be approaching sexual
2: violence? Sexual violence is a uh, threat. And, uh, you know, I, I recently, uh, just today, actually, there was a big article in the Globe uh, about the case that is part of the where the Boston Fire Department which is overwhelmingly male. Uh, I think there's only 16 uh, female firefighters, and there's something like 1,500 firefighters overall with 16 women. Um, it was just a recent report that came out that we had significant sort of locker room-esque uh, behavior. We, we have uh, are in have charged that uh, one of the women in the unit was sexually assaulted. What's important to me, Jordan, is uh, that you know, I'm in my administration going to make it very clear to these survivors that their voices will be heard, uh, we will be respectful, and we will protect them. And so part of my administration is going to include making sure that we're going out to all of the colleges and universities that we have. In Suffolk County, which is closest to Boston, Chelsea, and River River. Um, Boston, we're known for our education. Uh, additionally, I've made it clear I don't want to see my power from a Title IX coordinator. So, if there are sexual assaults happening on college campuses, although the university pays for a Title IX coordinator, um, those crimes happen on my in my jurisdiction, and if they want to come directly to the DA's office. They have every right to do so. And we will conduct an investigation that is fair and impartial. And we are not paid for by the university, which often finds Title IX holders. But we're also not just focusing exclusively on women, because we all know uh, there are sexual assaults and violence that happen against uh, uh, every gender, uh, LGBTQ communities uh, and we will make sure that people are treated with dignity and respect for the process and that we are uh, strenuously uh, prosecuting and uh, advocating on their behalf when these things, uh, when these taken uh, horrific things happen. And speaking
1: of the LGBTQ community, recently there's been at least some increased awareness of the mistreatment LGBTQ people, and especially trans people of color, face in the criminal justice system. For example, we've seen some high-profile stories about the mistreatment of transgender women in prisons who are often incarcerated with men at far higher risks of violence and sexual assault. What approach are you taking to support the LGBTQ community and especially transgender women of color.
2: Yeah, so I was really proud during the campaign trail to be uh, one of the electeds uh, or individuals campaigning that was very, very vocal about the uh, yes on three um, bill that was passed. That uh, we were very excited. Still, uh, was we were successful, and uh, there was a lot of propaganda, as usual, out there about. Focusing on myths with respect to bathroom usages, etc. And so, what I what I need to do is be vocal about my support, and I need to say out loud that you're absolutely right. Trans, the trans community, and particularly the trans community of color, um, are not just sexually assaulted, but brutally murdered at a at a significant rate. Um, and there is an uptick in that behavior nationally and that we need to treat these as the things that they are, which are hate crimes. And um, I need to make sure that I am speaking out about that um, and making sure that communities know uh, that they are valued and have just as much a right to live a life free of violence and harassment um, as anyone else does. Um, but I also think, Jordan, it has to go a little farther than that in the sense of I need to be uh, deliberate with respect to making sure that my staff is reflective of all of the people of Suffolk County. Um, and oftentimes when a leader says that, you assume, oh, she just needs the things that she is, right? So, for example, I'm going to focus on women and I'm going to focus on people of color, right, or black. Individual's effort. I have to make sure that I don't have a selection bias myself, right, and that I am making sure that um, we have exceptional candidates that are also in the LGBTQ community, um, trans uh, community, uh, where we we are uh, we are not just only looking at those communities as victims and survivors but peers and supervisors and managers um, and colleagues, right? And so I think those are steps that I have to make sure I'm deliberately taking as the
1: new And what measures have you taken so far? What approach have you taken to hiring, to hiring a diverse staff, to hiring people who are supportive of your agenda and who are up for these more creative and new solutions to justice,
2: yeah. So I want to make sure I do give a shout out to my my. I have almost three hundred employees in this office. There are many, many people in this office that are, um, you know, at least outwardly saying they're supportive of my policies. You know, time will tell to see whether, in fact, my policies are implemented, and there's not a kind of log jam at the mid level or on the ground. You know, for example, in district courts with the Assistant District Attorney. Uh, what's beautiful for him is I there's a court watch going on right now where I'm getting almost real-time updates with respect to whether my policies are being implemented or not. So those individuals are doing a lot of work for me, which I love. Uh, and that was part of the ACLU, and, you know, I think the part Fund might be involved. There are lots of wonderful uh, community organizations that are Making sure I'm holding myself, they're holding me accountable to what it is I said. You know, I'll have a little pushback to say, wow, you know, thank you. They started January 2nd, which was the day I had my inauguration. You know, I jokingly said "Like, geez, you didn't even give me the day to get inaugurated before you started. Um, and there are many DAs in the Commonwealth, there are 11 of us, that I hope they're also looking at to see, uh, you know, nobody else in the Commonwealth but very candidly in the country, came up with this list uh, to say this is how I was going to propose the solution. But what's great is we're being held accountable. Um, I have already made significant improvements in the office with respect to gender um, regarding uh, the fact that, you know, I have a general counsel who is uh, a woman I am about to be announcing um hope by tomorrow a chief of staff is also a woman. But I am being very deliberate about making sure that I am targeting other um other categories of people. Uh, this is a very young office, for example, as an ADA you can get the job right out of law school. I want to make sure I'm looking at taking advantage of some well, hypothetically, let's say an SJC judge who has a mandatory term uh, whether they can help uh, with training in our office, right? And just even in a part-time capacity, um, there are age issues that we have here. Um, you know, we not issues, but there are uh, gaps. And so I'm, I'm going to be deliberate and I, st- I still have a lot of work to do because I want to make sure that the communities that are most impacted by the decisions we make and the um, protected categories that are most impacted by many of the decisions we make are reflected in the young people. So I will toot my horn a little bit with respect to um, some gender uh, equity that I think is happening that I'm excited about, but I have a lot more work to do.
1: And when it comes to accountability, what measures are you taking to stay connected to your community and all of these groups that helped you in your campaign?
2: That's a really good question. So all of them have my cell phone, which, um, my personal cell phone, which I had said, I'm the type of person, you know, I want to hear from you. Um, now granted, I am way busier now as the DA, but even though, um, you know, the way that I've asked my staff and will be asking them, I want calls return preferably within twenty four hours. I'm holding myself to that same standard. And even if it's a call that they might be saying, I'm not happy because you said you do X and I saw that you did Y, um, or you need to make sure I mean I haven't received these yet. I'm giving you, you know, fake calls that I hope I don't get because I'm, you know, doing what it is I said I would, but I want to be called out. And I'm proud of that. And I have people that are monitoring Social media, what's great about the court watch is they are, I believe, tweeting live. We got a really wonderful tweet yesterday about one of my amazing assistant district attorneys who in uh, Boston Municipal Court said this person does not need incarceration, they need treatment, and dismissed outright, prior to arraignment, my understanding is, which is consistent with what it is I said my policies would be. Um, I got some information today that there are some inconsistencies happening with respect to trespass charges where there was one incident that was fully consistent with what my policy was was or is and there was one that was not as consistent so what's great is court watch is doing a lot of that work for me but that's not their job you know we're in the process of hiring and I just have some excellent data people that are going to be able to collect this information and get me by the end of the day, hopefully every day, the information that I need to show and see that my policies are being implemented. Um, And even though I have a sense of urgency about this, I have 300 employees, I have to train all of these people about what my policies are. So there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way, um, but we are going to get there. For sure we are. And, um, so I want to be held accountable, you know, and this is a big job and I, have the ability in this role as does my office to take away people's liberty. So you better hold me accountable. And
1: how can our listeners hold you accountable and where can they find you online?
2: So first of all, they can hold me accountable. I, we are going to be changing the website of the office. I want it to be much more interactive. Um, we had the same website for almost 16 years prior to my arrival. I don't believe we are as active as we need to be on social media right now. So I'm in the process of doing all of that. But um, what I hope is that the community is going to see me in the community. You know, I um, chose to move to Roxbury. Um, I chose to live in one of the communities that is most impacted by this office. Um, I Every morning I... Myself go and get my Dunkin' Donuts coffee, um, and I uh, I come into work. So I have made it clear that I want to have, um, at the very least, quarterly community meetings where I'm reporting out to the community about what it is our office is doing and the changes we're hoping to implement. I also said that I want to meet once a month with some uh, men behind the wall um, I'm going to make sure that I'm also getting out to see some women that are incarcerated, um, and talking about um, the changes that the system needs, and hearing from the people that are closest to the problem there. So I would say um, you can go on our website, uh, or you know, Google Suffolk County District Attorney. You can find us. I still, um, you know, have some active social media under my Rollins for DA. Um, website, website, you can absolutely reach out. I have a staff person that separate and apart from me being the district attorney on the campaign side that's looking at into some of that stuff and being responsive there. But you know, I'm not hard, I'm not hiding. Um, I want to make sure that you know they are um, getting in touch with me either through our press secretary or calling, our main number, and saying, you know, I want to speak to the district attorney or someone in her. Staff, because I feel as though um, you know I was not treated fairly, or I was um, overcharged in some circumstance, or I hope at some point I I was you know I explained my situation and I think I got a fair and just result uh, when I came in contact with your office. But most importantly, Jordan, I hope people are calling to say I want to be an investigator. Um, my daughter or son just graduated from law school and they want a job. Um, we have over you know, almost 300 employees here. 150 of them are lawyers. That means about 150 of them are not. So we have some really great opportunities in this office for people from the community to actually work with us and help us become better. And that is part of why I ran, As I said, I'm no longer going to complain on the sidelines. I'm going to get up and do something about a system that I didn't think was working properly. And I hope that there are people in the community that say, you know, whether it's that they want to be on my transition team or an advisory task force, you know, an advisory committee or a task force, or they want a full-time paying job uh, or a part-time job. We are creating something here, I hope, that is special and that is is um, disrupting violence and that is change-focused, and I'd love for our community to get actively involved.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, and we hope to catch up with you later in the year to hear about all the progress you've made.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jordan. I look forward uh, to hearing back from you.
1: Of course. And lastly, to our listeners, to keep up to date with the Millennial Politics Podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on social media, And tune into the Progressive Radio Network every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.